Exodus. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there's some on the, the back bookshelves just back there. You're welcome to, uh, to take those and uh, follow along. If you need a Bible, uh, you don't have one, take one of those and you can keep it. Uh, it's yours to, to keep and distribute as you, as you need or, or want. All right, now just a, a couple of extra things that I will um, mention. Uh, as I've said in a couple of weeks, so on April the 17th, it's Resurrection Sunday. And so we'll be celebrating the resurrection and enjoying uh, remembering what Christ has done for us in uh, his resurrection and then uh, following into his ascension and his intercession for us. So we'll be remembering that. Now, typically, we celebrate the Lord's Supper kind of in uh, coinciding with um, Passover. Uh, There's something you don't want your pastor to forget, is it? (laughs) Uh, Now, in speaking with uh, a few people around, just because of what COVID and restrictions and the way a few people are feeling, um, I've had a few conversations Uh, We won't be celebrating it as we normally do on Passover this year, which would be Friday the 14th. We're going to delay that a little bit, so only about a month. So um, I wanted to make sure that um, because there are some with health issues and things that have said we're just going to wait until after this COVID peak and all happens, I wanted to make sure that because we do it once a year and that it's an important event that everybody who wants to come and can come, can be able to do that without feeling uh, pressure. So if you have questions about that or anything, just ask me. Yes, we are going to do it. We're just going to delay it a little bit, Um, okay? So just remember that and we we will go ahead. But like I say, if you have any questions about it or anything, um, please just come and see me and and we can talk through that. John chapter 1 this morning. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about John the Baptist and uh, you know, the unusual man that, that he is. To make a point, I, I considered this morning uh, preaching in, in a T-shirt and jeans. Uh, and I thought better of it because I thought it might cause some heart attacks. Uh, something you're not used to. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I've ever preached in a T-shirt, but that's by the end there. But because we have some questions we need to look at. And the way our life causes questions to come up. Now, as we've been looking through the Gospel of John, we took a break last week uh, because of the anniversary, but we've been looking our way through John, and and the Apostle John has been setting up his Gospel, what he wants to present and what he wants to to achieve through his purpose. And as we saw when we began looking at the Gospel, he told us that his purpose was so that we could read this, understand it, and know and believe that Jesus is the Christ Christ the Son of God. So to do this, to get us to that point so he can lay this out, so we can see Jesus for who he is and believe him as as the Christ and the Son of God, he is establishing from the very beginning that Jesus is the eternal God. Turn myself on again. And in doing this, chapter 1 of John is a, a masterful Um, piece of of literature, much less just what it tells us about God, but the way that John uh, creates this and crafts this, because he's 
He's taken us and he starts with us, as we've seen, haven't we, with the, the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. And then we move between the magnificence and the glory of the eternality of Christ to the temporalness of the ministry of John the Baptist. And he intermingles the two together as he works through chapter 1, intertwining these two great great truths, the eternal nature of Christ and the temporal nature of, of John and, and what he does in, in our life. And as he goes through chapter 1, he's slowly bringing these two things, the eternality of Jesus and the temporalness of man, and he's slowly bringing these things together until they will connect and we'll see that connection very soon so we last looked in the gospel of john in verse 14 which was one of the heights of the the chapter of first chapter of john it says and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth so there's that height of Christ. And then we come now to verse 15 where our text is this morning. It says, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Let's continue reading, and we're going to read around through verse 28. So verse 16 says, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed, and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then? If thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet. Jesus, John sorry, answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, or Bethany, uh, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, as we look at its example and at its teaching, help us this morning as we look at it to draw our lives more in line with it, to become more Christ-like in a world which desperately needs to see Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here... John, again, he's making these connections. Eternal Jesus, temporal John, and the message that he has to preach. And in the, the text we look at here this morning, we're at the peak of John the Baptist's ministry. Things are about to shift and change here as we go through. But the ministry and the message of John the Baptist, which he has been preaching and he has been doing, leads us to the great connection. Right? Remember I said, 
John is deliberately doing this so the eternality of Christ and the temporal nature of, of John and the message he's giving come to meet. And we're finally going to get there next week when we come to verse 29. The next day John sees Jesus coming unto him saying, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So these two things, John who has been preaching Christ and Christ who is the eternal nature are now going to join and we're going to see why. But before we get to that, there's a reason that, that the Apostle John tells us a little bit about the ministry of John the Baptist here. And although that he was a unique man in history, there's nobody like John the Baptist, there's much we can learn about living for Christ from him. The passage we read this morning, you're from verse 15 through verse 28, centers around the identity of John. Who is this guy who is preaching out in the wilderness and baptizing people and causing a stir? So the Pharisees send a delegation there to find out who is this guy that's causing such problems and such issues and raising so many questions. He was causing a stir. People wondered who he was and what he was about. Now, like John, who is living a life and, and, and a message which is raising questions amongst the people, that's what our life as Christians is supposed to be like. Living for Christ in this world should raise questions. People should be able to look at our lives and see how we live and see how we interact with them, say, who are you? What is it that you are... are living for? Why are you so different? So does it? What, what questions does our lives raise amongst those around us? And when those questions arise, how do we answer those questions? The first question that comes up that they bring to John is this, who are you? Who are you? So verse 19 says, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who art thou? What, what kind of man is this? He was a very different kind of man. John the Baptist was no ordinary prophet. He was no ordinary prophet. He was a very different kind of man. He was unusual for sure. Someone that you know, we look at and say, well, that's, that's, that's a little bit out there. He's living in the wilderness. He's eating locusts and wild honey and and wearing strange clothes, and, and doing funny things. He is a man, even in his generation, which seemed a little bit odd, a little bit out there. There was no other prophet that this generation had ever seen like John. They hadn't seen anybody like this before. They hadn't heard anybody like this before in their generation. And so people were flocking out to hear him. They were going out in, in so many to, to see who he was and to find out what he was like. There were so many that were just, they were curious about who he was and they were intrigued by his message. Who is this guy? He seems so odd. We have never seen anyone like him before. So he was causing a stir through Israel. And people were asking and questioning. The religious leaders were curious too. And that's how this whole passage begins to get started, because they're wondering, who is this guy? Certainly, uh, he was having an effect, 
They could see he was teaching, but he wasn't, he wasn't like them. He was baptizing and having followers and, and, and teaching people, and they're wondering, well, who is this guy that has such a growing influence in our, in our nation? John, in his time, was what we might call countercultural. He was living something very different to the life that people expected. He was a different kind of man with a different kind of message. It wasn't just his lifestyle that was causing confusion. Yeah, he looked different. Uh, but his lifestyle, you know, we might look and say, well, there's a crazy guy. And, and I know a few weeks ago I said he reminds me of you know, the crazy guy we used to see in the city that, you know, the end is coming. And we think, well, that's a little bit crazy. But it turns out you know, the, the way that John dressed and lived was deliberate. It wasn't just because he would, wanted to be uh, confusing or confronting. There was a reason. His dress reminded particularly the religious leaders of someone else. He reminded them in the way he dressed of Isaiah. If you look at the way John the Baptist is described as being dressed, you know, with the, the camel's hair and the, the big belt, and then you look in, in uh, like 2 Kings, beginning of 2 Kings, and it describes how Isaiah dressed. They dressed the same way. So there's a deliberateness in the way he dressed because he was meant to draw attention to Isaiah and to the message that Isaiah had. So it wasn't, though, just his, his dress that was the same, but so much more. You see, the Jews and these leaders who came out to him, they didn't come out just because they were curious. They came out, they were curious about who he was, but to put it lightly, shall we say, they were also a little irritated. Not long before this incident, and depending on how the Gospels go together, it may even be the same day he says some of this, he calls these religious leaders vipers and hypocrites. So his message was strong and forceful. He also sounded a lot like Isaiah. So he looked like Isaiah. And he sounded like Isaiah because both Isaiah and John the Baptist were preaching to Israel, repent, come to God. Their message was the same. And as a result, the leaders of Israel were not sure what to do with him. He didn't fit any of their categories. See, they could easily identify who was what and where. You say, well, they're Pharisees. You can tell by the way they dress and, and what they do. And they're Sadducees. And, and we know where they are because this is a Pharisee who is of the school of Gamaliel. Or this is a Sadducee and he's uh, following this rabbi. And so they, they would easily categorize teachers. So, well, we know what he's like because they teach this and they believe this or they dress like this. But John didn't fit into any of their categories. They didn't know what to do with him. Well, clearly, he's, he's like Isaiah, but he's really irritating, and he's troubling. They didn't know what to do with him. They were troubled because John the Baptist's message, which, which spoke about the Messiah, had massive implications beyond that. So the message that John preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, this message of repentance and this message that the Messiah is, is coming, that message that John preached 
while he didn't make it his main point, it had huge social and political implications. See, if you believed what John the Baptist was preaching, it changed how you saw the world. It changed how you understood what was happening in Israel. It changed how you understood the religious leaders there. So as John was preaching and as people were believing his message, it was shaking up the social, political nature of it. See, if you believed what John said, that, that a Messiah was here, that the, the Messiah was close, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, well, as far as the Jews could understand, that meant we may have some issues here with Rome. And if indeed what he's saying is true and we've missed it, he's going to cause some problems with our own religious social structure. We're losing our power. Now, John didn't intend his message to be social and he didn't intend his message to be political, but there was no way that you could believe John's message about repentance and the kingdom of heaven coming in Jesus and not have it shake your world. And that caused problems and confusion. To look for the Messiah was going to raise questions. His message raised questions. His very life raised questions. So just like John was no ordinary prophet, neither are we just ordinary people as the children of God. We are no ordinary people. John was a different kind of prophet. We are a different kind of people. And like John the Baptist, our life needs to raise questions. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says that we're a holy nation. Holy means to be set apart, to be distinct. So as the people of God, we are set apart from the world. We are distinct in who we are. There is something unique about who we are. It says that we are a peculiar people. And despite some of the, the uh, things I heard growing up with, with various youth conferences and things around, peculiar there does not mean strange. does not mean odd. It doesn't mean that we have to live like we're weird. And we're weirdos because we're so different. That's not what it means. Peculiar there is special. So it means special or more particularly purchased. We are a purchased people. That's what peculiar means. We are different because we are set apart, because we are special. And what makes us special is we're purchased. We have a different life. Being a believer in Jesus Christ makes us different. That's why the Bible uses terms like we are a new creation. Jesus will use it in John chapter 3, won't he? That we have a new birth. That we are given new life. They all speak to being different, to being set apart. And living this new life, that we've been given should raise questions. It should cause people to wonder what is going on. 
Who are you? And it doesn't have anything to do with the way you dress or the things that you do or the music you listen to. That's not the point. In fact, it doesn't have anything to do with any of that. It means we live differently. And why does it mean we live differently? How do we live differently? Because what the gospel does to us, what Jesus does to us is he gives us different goals for life. He changes our purpose in life. That is, our worldview changes. We no longer see the world. We no longer see our place in this world the same. And because we don't see the world the same, we know there's something bigger, greater, grander, eternal. It changes how we interact in this world. Our lives by the very nature of who we believe, should raise questions. You see, we live in this world, but we do not have to live like this world. A verse perhaps many of us know very well, Romans 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And how are we transformed? How are we not conformed? By the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind means it's not about following a whole bunch of rules or standards. It means I'm changing the way I think in this world. It means you are different because you believe Jesus, so you act different by following Jesus. We are a different people with a different kind of message. The reason for the different life is the message that we believe. Sure, your life may look different in the way you dress and the songs you listen to and the things you do and the words you say. But the reason it's like that is because of what we believe. We believe something deeply. We live and speak repentance and faith. A life of love and sacrifice and godliness. And just like John the Baptist, the gospel changes us. Our worldview is completely altered. And like the Pharisees were with John the Baptist, they didn't know what to do with him. They had no category for him. And like they were with John, so the world is with the people of God. There is no category for the people who follow Jesus. It's confusing. It doesn't make, make sense. Like we describe John the Baptist as being countercultural, we are countercultural. We seem similar, but oddly different. You know, I can believe that someone is condemned by their sin and still love them. I can recognize that I'm a hypocrite and still have confidence in my salvation. I can want to care for the environment and yet not be enslaved by it. I can highly value women and still believe in the sanctity of life of the unborn. I can believe science and not evolution. I can hate suffering and yet recognize suffering has value. I can read a book that's centuries old and find it fresh 
relevant and life-giving. These things don't make sense to the world. They don't know how, how do you categorize someone like that? How do you, you deal with people who, it's a life that's confusing and it's a life which sometimes for many is irritating. How can they be that type of person? Who are these people? Life for God is countercultural. I'm a different kind of person with a different kind of message. So as we pursue Jesus Christ, as we pursue to live for Jesus, the question should rise from people, who are you? Who are you? That question often leads to another question, which is this. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? You know, in, in Matthew 3, we're reminded of the interaction between John the Baptist and the Pharisees, where he calls them vipers and, and hypocrites. And the, the Pharisees and the leaders are irritated because John is so judgmental in the way that he speaks to them. And the truth is that living for God is often seen as judgmental. And I suspect that many of us understand that, that perspective. Sometimes as we're pursuing God and we're trying to live for God and, and do our best to serve him, that people look at us sometimes and say, well, you think you're better than me? Live that holier-than-thou life? Who are you to tell me how I can live my life? Each to their own. If it doesn't bother you, then don't worry about me. The answer to that question, who are you to tell me how to live, is a simple one. I'm just a nobody. I'm a nobody. Listen to John as he interacts with him, as they ask him, who are you? Why can you preach like this? He says in verse 15, or of John here in verse 15, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh before me is preferred, or cometh after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Verse 27, he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. See, over and over again, they're saying, John, who are you? He says, I'm just, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. Now, Jesus often spoke very highly of John the Baptist. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus says, there's no other person on earth like John. Entirely unique. It's Jesus who draws the connection between John and Isaiah, saying he is like the prophet. He is the one that was supposed to come before, like the prophet Elijah, I should say, Elijah. But John doesn't seem to see himself that way. John doesn't seem to live his life and think of himself as, I am, I'm the, the prophet who's, who's coming before I, I'm, I'm like Elijah. He doesn't seem to have that attitude. In fact, it seems like he just says, I'm just, I'm just a guy. 
and I'm just a guy trying to tell people Jesus is coming. He's constantly saying how unimportant he is. I'm nobody, just a person who knows grace. When people look at us and they feel judgmental and say, what, you think you're better than me? You think you can tell me what to do? Say, no, I'm nobody. I'm just a nobody who knows the grace of God. That's me. I'm just, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. I'm a voice with a message. A message which is powerful and transforming. The problem we often have is when we start attaching a bunch of rules to this life. I'm going to pursue Christ and when you start attaching a bunch of rules to this life about what it means and then very quickly we become the Pharisees and very quickly the answer to the question who are you to tell me how to live becomes about me and what you need to do and what I need to do. We become proud in what we are We become proud in what we've made ourselves to be. John the Baptist's answer is, I'm just a guy serving God. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. I'm just a ugly clay pot that gets to carry something really great really magnificent your life shouldn't draw uh, draw questions or raise questions to draw attention to yourself because the truth of the gospel breeds humility and that's what we see in John I'm just a guy trying to point you to the one that's coming Showing the way. He says there in in verse 23 that he is to make straight, he is to prepare the way of the Lord. All of John the Baptist's response is this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Do you think you're better than me? The question comes. And the answer rings, no. I think we all need Jesus. Your good deeds, keeping the law, they can't save you or me. None of it can. We need Jesus. My job, your job, your life, my life, is to prepare the way. It's to point people to Jesus, to make him known and prepare for his coming. Because just like John was saying, Jesus is on his way. Our life, our message is, Jesus is on his way. And that is what my message is to be. You see, I'm just nobody telling that Jesus is somebody. You know, I know there's a few Casting Crowns fans out there. Shh, I won't tell anyone. (laughs) But it reminds me of that song they sing, Nobody. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. That's John's message. I'm just a dude trying to tell you about the great creator. 
I'm just a guy trying to tell you about the one that can save your soul. A message of repentance is the response to the truth that Jesus reveals. Jesus reveals the truth that we are sinners. It says in in Romans chapter 5, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the law wasn't given to save us. The law was given to show us we can't do it. That's why God gave the law. It says, here is my standard. See, you can't do it. You cannot do it. And when we look at Jesus, that's where this feeling of condemnation comes from because Jesus confronts us with the truth. We can't look at Jesus and not be confronted by our sin. We can't look at Jesus and not be irritated because we recognize even as much as we try to ignore it, I cannot achieve that standard. I cannot reach it. So when we talk about Jesus, people will be overwhelmed by their sin. And we can't avoid that because that's at the heart of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. You see, our message isn't isn't come out of that bondage and come into a more respectable bondage. No matter who you are or what you do, it's never enough, ever. You cannot do enough. But what it tells us about Jesus and what John reminds us about Jesus here is, yes, that he reveals the truth, that he is full of truth, and he is full of grace. He brings grace. In John chapter 3, as he's talking to Nicodemus, he'll, he'll say this in verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But Jesus didn't come to condemn us, because we're already condemned. He came to save us from that condemnation. To free us from that. So the truth isn't just bad news. Oh, we have to be confronted by the bad news. But the truth of the gospel is not just the bad news. The truth is Jesus came to save, not condemn. The truth is you can be forgiven because Jesus is full of grace. If all people know about God from me is that he's angry, I'm saying the wrong thing. Yes, Jesus confronts us with our sin so that we will turn to him and find his grace. Who are you? Who are you to tell me how to live? And lastly, our life should raise this question. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that you follow? Who is this Jesus that you believe? Who is this Jesus that you pursue? Who is this Jesus that seems to have made such a difference in your life? Well, this Jesus, he is the God of glory. This section that John writes to us about the ministry of John the Baptist, 
begins in verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. That is, grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. See, as John has been presenting to us through the introduction to his letter here, Jesus is eternal God. He is eternal God. Jesus changes lives because Jesus is God. He says in verse 15, he says, John was born first. John the Baptist was born first. He says, Jesus came after me, but Jesus far exceeds me. I may have been born first, but Jesus is better. Jesus is more glorious. Jesus has always been. Why am I going to live a different life? Why is my life going to raise questions? Why is it going to be different? Because Jesus is worthy. He is worthy. He is the God of glory. He is eternal God and he is sovereign God. Jesus is king. And regardless of who I am or what I believe, the truth remains. Because Jesus is king, I owe him honor and praise. And whether I believe him or not, one day he will receive my praise. So I live for him now because he's worthy, he is sovereign. My life is not going to change anyone, right? So I'm not saying that you need to live a life and you need to have people ask questions because you will be the key to saving someone. Oh, sure, God may use you to do that, but you can't save anyone and know how how pure your life looks. You cannot save anyone. Only Jesus can. So the reason I pursue God, the reason I live my life to pursue God and to raise the questions is so that people will ask this question, who is this Jesus. He is the God of glory. He is the God of grace. It says he declares him. No man has seen God at any time, says the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. For those of you that were in the, the Bible Institute in the years past, you understand the word exegesis, don't you? Exegesis means that we explain the text. So that word exegesis is the same word declare is or from. So what it's telling us is Jesus explains God. Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus is the one that tells us what God is like. Jesus reveals the truth. Jesus gives grace because he is God. He is the only begotten son. I said a few weeks ago when we we looked at this, the, the only begotten, that probably the easiest way to understand that is that it is unique or one and only. And that's true and that is what it means and that is its, uh, its easiest way to understand it. However... 
the translation of only begotten is the right way to translate that word. Because it doesn't just mean unique or one and only. It speaks to us about the deep relationship that the father has with the son. So he is unique and he is the one and only, but he is unique and one and only because he has this deep, eternal, and very unique relationship with the father. It speaks of that deep, personal relationship he has. And so because he has this deep, eternal, and abiding relationship with the father, the son can tell us who God is. And he delivers grace. When we believe Jesus, he gives grace on top of grace. That expression in verse 16, and grace for grace, is simply an expression of inexhaustible grace. So when you think the amount of grace has run out, there is another supply, and another supply, and another supply. His grace is inexhaustible. And he pours into our life blessing after blessing. Paul says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That is grace upon grace upon grace as we need it. He sustains us in grace no matter what comes upon us. John the Baptist helps us put everything in perspective. Who we are in relation to God. He shows us our place. Reminds us of who we are. As the people of God, we are voices. We are ambassadors for a coming king. Our lives are instruments Instruments for the glory of God. And having received his grace upon grace, we live so others will know that truth and grace come by Jesus. That's what my life should answer. Grace and truth come by Jesus. And in living for Jesus, we find the greatest satisfaction as we pursue to live for Jesus, our life should raise questions. It should raise questions. Who are you? You seem so different. Your perspective on life is so different. Your understanding of the world is different. Who are you? Why are you so different? Well, Jesus. Jesus is why I'm different. Maybe this morning, you're the one with the questions. Why, why do these people come every Sunday morning when there's other things to do? when there's talented sports people in here who could be doing that now. Achieving other things. Why do they give of their time every week to come and sit 
and listen to this guy talk about an old book. Maybe you're the guy with the questions or the woman with the questions this morning. Let us tell you the answer to those questions is Jesus. That's why we're here. And that's why we do things differently. And that's why we think differently. And that's why we can look at this world in the turmoil it's in and believe Jesus is going to make all things better. And we want you to have that hope too. So Christian, live so that your life answers questions. And this morning, if you're the one with the questions, please come ask me those questions. And let's help you find the answer in Jesus. Because we're just a voice to tell you Jesus is on his way. And you need to know him. And we want you to believe him. Let us tell you more about Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have had this morning to learn from an unusual man. And may the lessons we learn from him help us to live our life. So that as people look at us and they see how we understand the world and how we live in this world, they would be asking us, who are you? And when we tell them we're a voice telling about Jesus, may we be able to give them the answer, this is Jesus. Use our lives as instruments for your glory to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that has those questions, doesn't understand you or understand, but wants to know more, Lord, please open their eyes and give us the ability to answer those questions in a manner which will have them see you clearly. We pray these things in Jesus' name.